analysis of the recent White House cybersecurity strategy, GDPR class action lawsuits come to Europe, and electronic voting machine vulnerabilities. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. A national cybersecurity strategy document released by the White House last week, along with comments from a top Trump administration official that the US would step up its offensive cyber measures, are getting mixed reviews from cybersecurity experts. I spoke with Marianne Culbersuk McGee, ISMG's executive editor for Healthcare Info Security, who conducted a number of interviews with cybersecurity experts to write a piece of analysis on the subject. I started off by asking Marianne if she thought there was anything actionable in the document. Here's Marianne's response. Well, those that I talked to, some of the people who are closely or, or most familiar with some of the strategy that the federal government has had in previous administrations and moving forward, notes that some of the things that are mentioned in the document, you know, kind of repeat things that have been implemented or, you know, said to be part of the strategy, for instance, during the Obama administration about sanctions against uh, cyber criminals and nation states or, you know, whomever is uh, engaged in bad behavior on the U.S. Um, And, you know, so some of those things are things that we've already done. So, yeah, some of the things that are in this document are actionable. The controversy sort of came up when this document was introduced and uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton had a briefing with media sort of hinting that uh, the Trump administration would be more aggressive than what is laid out in the document. And, you know, some of the experts say, well, they're not so surprised that perhaps the words don't match what's in the printed document, but you know, you don't want to disclose too much to your adversaries. No, of course not. And I mean, like you say, you interviewed some pretty heavy hitters in the cybersecurity space for this, including Obama's federal CISO, that's um, retired Brigadier General Greg Tuhill, and a bunch of others that have firsthand experience of cybersecurity and government. So, I mean, was there a consensus there or what are the takeaways from these experts? Well, I think the consensus from all of them, whether or not they are skeptical, even if they're not quite sure if this House White House document is, um, you know, doable or if this is really what, what's going to happen, the consensus seems to be that the, the U.S. has to do more than it's been doing. It has to sort of up the game here. Whether or not the U.S. takes an aggressive stance, uh, an offensive stance that some people are worried it could stir things up even worse for the U.S. in terms of adversaries then, you know, also upping their game. That's sort of the question. But the agreement is that the U.S. just has to do more, that, you know, there's a lot of threats out there, you know, ranging from individual cyber criminals to nation states and that the U.S. critical infrastructure and prosperity could be at risk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. As we've noted in other editions of the ISMG Security Report, Europe's GDPR has yet to really show its teeth since the enforcement deadline went into effect in May. This week, ISMG's Executive Editor of Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz, discussed the potential for a flood of class action lawsuits in Europe based around GDPR enforcement, 
with attorney Jonathan Armstrong of the London law firm Cordry. In this section of the interview, Matt and John discuss preemptive settlement rather than court cases and how language on British Airways' website could come back to haunt them. Here's Matt. Depending on how things go with Morrisons or potentially British Airways, would this potentially set precedent that might lead other companies to try to avoid court cases? I mean, because in the US, you see big firms wanting to settle. Things started to look not great. And so rather than see case law get solidified or whatever, they opted to settle, you know, 10 million here, 12 million there is a less yeah. price to pay maybe. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And we've got to be careful about law that is made by surrender rather than victory. And we have seen that in the past, I think. And interestingly, BA were very early out of the blocks to say, we're looking at compensation for people affected. In the past, I think organizations have been reluctant to say anything like that or to volunteer anything like that. I think that one of the situations that potentially makes it a little bit worse for BA is that up until the breach, it seemed that they had a statement on their website to say words to the effect that shopping online was safe. And that just alters, I think, the dynamic slightly because potentially, just as you've had you know, the Hilton litigation, for example, in the U.S., where it was argued that even absent a privacy right, that's a promise that is you know, misleading if there's an incident and the data wasn't safe. I think the BA are possibly into that territory as well. I noticed that they've changed that part of their website to remove the words safe, but that I think is just a slight complication for BA. And obviously it's relatively easy to use the Wayback Machine and look at the page as it did exist prior to the breach and as it exists today. Why that's relevant is just as in the US, that's potentially a misleading trade statement. And also under GDPR, it could be argued to breach the fairness principle. So that's effectively the first principle, principle A in GDPR, that you have to be fair and transparent when you're handling people's data. And for those reasons, it might be that BA feel that they've got to settle more than a different vendor or a different company with a different type of breach. Because I think the fact that they have could be argued positively asserted the fact that dealing with them is safe has just gone beyond what many B2C organizations do. Finally, I had an eye-opening conversation with Darian Kindland, a data scientist at the analytics firm Insight Engines, on the current state of electronic voting machines, also known as DRE systems. Front and centre is critical patching of these devices. Here's Darian. Most of the focus is on what's known as penetration testing of these systems, looking for new interesting vulnerabilities. But there's a whole longer tail, which is, are there teams and processes in place to handle uh, just regular patching of these systems and addressing known vulnerabilities within these systems. It's unclear as to whether or not this is handled uh, on a county-by-county county basis or state-by-state state basis. But if you're going to treat these, instead of as appliances that you replace every 10 years, if you're going to treat these as actual computer systems, you need to have traditional vulnerability and patch management teams in place to directly address these concerns. The, the biggest challenge that many 
election officials face is that security is not a single time measurement or a single time activity. It's a, it's a constant process. So instituting sound processes to make sure that these systems remain secure, that's a, that's a challenge that every, every local election has to, has to come to grips with. So in terms of the current landscape of voting machines that are out there, what's, do you have any idea what kind of percentage of voting will be occurring in the midterms via DRE systems? Well, over, over half of the states have DRE equipment uh, installed in operations. Now, they use, um, for many of them, they use paper ballots as a means of validating that there's no tampering after the fact, but if you if if you're if you're trying to secure the actual uh, computer systems directly, uh, we're looking at you know a a spectrum of roughly four to five different operating systems, and what we've seen so far in talking with others is that there's roughly thirty to forty percent of them have. Um, vulnerability and patching issues that need to be addressed in this in this space. So 30 to 40 percent of over 50 percent of the votes that are going to be cast in November are via machines that are not up to date. Correct. That's it for this week's ISMG security report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.